I never look forward to this set of readings during the lectionary cycle because they're very basic. Love God, love your neighbor. It's like we know that. That's obvious. It's something we've learned since first grade. But I was uh, doing something different this week. I, I opened up a book this week and I was reading it. And when I was reading this book, I happened upon this idea that was kind of novel. Talked about the perfection of man and how there are these two virtues that we often exalt over love. And these two virtues are not just like part of the 21st century, not even of the last century. They've been the hallmarks of Western civilization, especially since uh, the Greek influence on the Roman Empire. And the first of these virtues that we exalt over love, what we would say might be the greatest commandment instead of love, is the virtue of fortitude, that we think as members of Western civilization that fortitude is man's greatest end. I mean by fortitude, that virtue, that virtue of bravery or courage or endurance. And we look at the virtue of fortitude as one of man's greatest end because of our love for heroes. In Greek mythology, it's Hercules, it's Zeus, it's these, these overcomers. And then it turns into today our love for sports, for athletics, for, for football, for anyone who overcomes, anyone who can persevere and endure. And it seems like this must be man's perfection, what we must strive for, because to grow in fortitude means to do things that are just hard. And it's hard to do things that are hard, to deny ourselves. And that really, a lot of times we think that we have to grow in fortitude this way because the sins that we fall into are usually out of ease or comfort in life. And so if we just simply deny ourselves and act bravely, then the person who is the most brave and denies himself is the most perfect. And this can actually get twisted in even a Christian sense where we acknowledge the martyrs and we love the martyrs just because they do hard things and because they are crucified and they are bloody rather than acknowledging the martyrs because they are signs of God's love. And so we live the faith even in a way, thinking that as long as I'm persecuted and I do things that are hard, then I'm living rightly. If I'm fasting, if I'm denying myself, if I am doing something more intensely than another, then I'm living rightly. The problem with this is that sometimes the greatest acts of love happen with great ease. Because it's the spirit who is working within us. And that this self-denial a lot of times, if we exalt it above all things, can lead to a certain pride where we deny others and we look down upon them. Because that self-denial becomes a self-hatred whenever it is removed from our last end in love. I think the second thing, and sorry, the ways that this manifests itself, this exaltation, the virtue of fortitude, is that we become obsessed with the life of fitness, we become obsessed with the life of dieting, we become obsessed with uh, the culture of those heroes of our culture, those athletes, so on, to where we exalt fortitude over the lives of the saints who simply love. The second way that this author points out 
that we exalt one virtue over the virtue of love since the beginning of the Greek influence in Western civilization is the virtue of wisdom, the virtue of wisdom. And this comes from Plato and Aristotle, those kind of like fundamental first thinkers that really have a a strong influence even on Christianity. And they make a strong case for this. That the one thing that separates man from the rest of creation is that man knows, right? Like, your dog isn't going to write you a poem whenever you come home, you know, and and monkeys aren't going to sit on branches and watch sunsets. But man knows. And so if man knows, then his perfection must lie in this knowing. And this manifests itself in our desire just to know more than everybody else, our desire to be right, our desire to instruct and to know everything that's happened so that we can be a sort of fount of wisdom. But in our relationship with God in our final end, if we are made for God, at least on this side of heaven, our perfection cannot be knowledge. Because everything that we know, we seek to put it in our mind. Right? If I know... Um, that this microphone is right here, and I understand it, I can put the idea of this microphone in my mind. I can put its shape in my mind, I can put its effects in my mind, I I I can visualize all that. But if knowing God is our last end, the problem on this side of heaven is that if I try to put God in my mind, then I'm not putting God in my mind, I'm putting a created idea in my mind, some... Uh, false similitude of who God really is. And this is a point that G.K. Chesterton makes in his book, Orthodoxy, when he's talking about the difference between uh, poets and logicians, mathematicians. He says that a poet is able to look at the mystery of God and the infinite ocean of who God is and simply float in the middle of the ocean and be content. While the logician or the mathematician wants to traverse the infinite sea that is the mystery of God, put it all within his head, and so his head splits and he goes crazy, he goes mad. And so we cannot know God fully in this life, so wisdom cannot be that. But in love, what we do is that we allow God to draw us to himself rather than we draw God to ourselves. God draws us to himself. And that this drawing of God from uh, himself to us leads to a new knowledge that simply wisdom and book study and speculation cannot give us. We see this very clearly in the life of St. Thomas Aquinas, who spent his whole life writing these books, the Summa Theologica. And toward the end of his life, as he grows in holiness, as he grows in love for God, he reaches this point where he says, everything that I've written is just simply hay, it's straw. And so his, he wants to burn it, and his Dominican brothers saying, no, please don't burn it, this is gold, which thankfully he did not burn it because it's kind of like you know, the basis for a lot of our Catholic theology today. But that, that love that he experienced for Jesus, that Jesus drew him to himself, led to such a simplicity and a simple knowledge that could not be expressed even in books. A kind of... Uh, a wisdom that's just given to a lover. And so the greatest commandment we know is love, but why throughout the history of Western civilization have we fallen in to 
the worship of fortitude and the worship of wisdom. The worship of fortitude and the worship of wisdom. And it's because while both of those, while worship of fortitude exalts me above my neighbor, because if I am perfect in fortitude, then I can look down upon everyone else. And the worship of wisdom helps me to conquer God, that I know all truth, so I'm not in need of knowing God. Then what love does is that it allows God to do the work so that I don't rely upon myself and fortitude, that God is the one working in me by his grace, by sending his Holy Spirit to live within me, and that God is the one who is revealing himself to me, and I know him as he reveals himself to me humbly. Love, while forti- like the worship of fortitude and the worship of wisdom lead me to exalt myself above neighbor and above God, what love does is that it puts me at the service of my neighbor, and it puts me under the docility of God, under the discipleship of God, to where not reaching for that fruit that Adam does in the garden, the desire to conquer neighbor and to conquer God. And this is very clearly expressed in the one thing that we do as Catholics every week, that we don't come together as Catholics and take cold showers and fast and deny ourselves. And we don't come together as Catholics on a weekly basis just to open up the Sumer, to open up the Bible, and just have a Bible study. But we come at Mass, where this is the source and the summit of the Christian life. And who is the principal actor? Who is the one who does the work? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who offers himself to the Father. And we just simply offer our hearts and sign and Under the appearance of bread and wine, we offer the body back to the Father. We offer the body and blood of Jesus back to the Father. It's he is the one who is doing the work so that he rids us of that desire for self-reliance, that desire to worship ourselves in fortitude. But also, under the signs of bread and wine, Jesus puts our mind in a state to where we have to worship him to where I cannot fully understand what is happening in the Eucharist. And so in love, in that mystery of what we call transubstantiation, where uh, bread and wine become the body and blood of Jesus without changing in appearance at all, that because I cannot fully understand it, the one thing that I must do is simply worship in awe and worship lovingly. And so whenever Jesus says that this man is not far from the kingdom of God, he means it. And that there's a reason why no one dares to ask him any more questions. Because there is nothing greater than we can desire to just simply be lovers of Jesus Christ.